Welcome to the Back Em Down Podcast. This is your host, Coach Johnson. In this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about the games tonight, as well as break down slash recap the games from Tuesday slate in the NBA. First, I want to talk about some of the implications that could come into factor for this Rockets-Thunder game tonight. And this isn't really an X's and O's type of discussion, but more of the job security of Mike D'Antoni and Billy Donovan, whichever one of them ends up losing tonight in this Game 7. You know, D'Antoni has been to... Western Conference Finals a few times and has came up short each time. And, you know, time is of the essence at this point as Harden and Westbrook are not getting any younger and are getting to a place where you have to think of your Houston, do you blow it up? Um... And even if D'Antoni is the right fit for this team to take them to a championship, or if he's just going to be a coach that gets you to the Western Conference Finals but can't get it done there to be in the NBA Finals. And then you look at it from Billy Donovan's perspective. Yes, he's been dealt a maybe an unfair hand, if you say, especially this year, you know, with the roster turnover that they did have. But there's been the past two years where he's had Westbrook and Paul George, and he's been bounced out of the first round two times in a row. Lost the 3-1 series lead to the Warriors in his first season with the Thunder. And now you're looking at maybe a possible net another possible first-round exit. So that'll be three years in a row that you got bounced out of the first round. Yes, they have exceeded expectations this season. But the Thunder have, you know, over the years been a good regular season team, but they have not got it done in the playoffs. So does Presti look in a different direction for the Thunder as they may look to begin their rebuild of trying to develop a new dynasty, sort of speaking? Or do does he trust in Donovan to get this team to where they want to be as a franchise and an organization? So that's going to be the biggest thing, you know, watching the game tonight that I'm going to be thinking about. Obviously, I'm going to be looking at it from an X and O's perspective of how the Thunder... attack them offensively if they're able to gain the advantage with their penetration as they have done you know in the games that they have won we'll also see how you know Donovan utilizes his bench if he shortens it up a little bit and doesn't really give much to Dort and to Ferguson plays a little bit more Baisley It'll be interesting to see what he does from a coaching perspective, but also see what Dan Tony does if he puts the ball in Harden's hands a lot more and takes it out of Westbrook's hands. 
in a game seven that has a lot on the line. Because if they don't win this game seven, then they're going to have to look at redoing the roster again. Moving into the offseason to compete for a championship. But also, it's going to be a... It's going to be interesting to see what the Rockets do offensively to offset some of those cold spells that they have from the perimeter and how they're able to make the Oklahoma City defense move as they're going to be loaded up most of the night on James Harden, not letting him beat them in this Game 7. Next thing I want to talk about is... If Milwaukee can bounce back from game one tonight in game two against the Miami Heat. You know, Miami didn't shoot the three ball at a high rate in game one, only hitting 12 made threes, which was the lowest amount of three-pointers that they hit against Milwaukee all season. And I want to see what Milwaukee's going to do offensively to give themselves an advantage because of how the Miami Heat are able to switch defensively and not lose anything when you have the defenders of Iguodala, Crowder, Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Derrick Jones Jr. There's not much difference because they all have size, they all have length, they all have good footwork, they got good agility, speed, so they don't lose anything when it's switch off to Giannis and switch off to Middleton. And so, you know, something that, looking at some of the game footage that I saw needs to be utilized by the Bucks is when they do set ball screens with Giannis for Middleton, that Giannis needs to try to slip some of those ball screens more often because when you're switching defensively most of the time you are above or just right on the line of the screener so there's not going to be any defense behind that screener to stop them if they decide to slip out of that uh, screening situation which could lead to a lot of paint touches for the Bucks which when you have Giannis in the middle making those slips, then you're going to attract a lot of defenders and be able to kick out to the good shooters that they possess on the perimeter to knock down shots. So hopefully that is a wrinkle that Budenholzer tries to exploit in the Heat's defense to get back this game too. Really from a Miami's perspective, I think they need to continue to play at the tempo that they're playing, but also switch things up defensively on the Bucks to not let them get comfortable and give them different looks, which obviously they're able to do because of the versatility as a team. And then, you know, offensively, it may look a little bit different tonight if Bledsoe plays and he's able to defend Dragic better than what George Hill did. And so, this is where, you know, Hero is going to have to step up at a bio scoring. He's going to have to see an uptick. And you have to, you know, rely on those other guys to make shots. 
uh, Duncan Robinson and Crowder or Iguodala because you're not going to get the same output that you got from Dragic and Butler in this game. So it's going to be interesting to see what changes Budenholzer makes, but also if the role players of the Heat are able to step up if Dragic and Butler do have a slower night. I will be back shortly to wrap up the episode after a quick word from our sponsor, Anchor. Now let's talk about the first game from yesterday as the Toronto Raptors were taking on the Boston Celtics looking to bounce back after the disappointing performance in Game 1. The Raptors were running a much more normal offense for them. In Game 1, they forced a lot of Siakam post-ups and then doubled down by trying to force a lot of Ibaka post-ups when he came into the game. They were moving the ball via the dribble and hitting the paint to create good looks on the perimeter or paint passing, getting shots at the basket. They were playing with a lot more pace and tempo, which is a huge thing for this Raptors team because they're so good in transition. Live ball turnovers will kill you against Toronto, and they made the most of them in Game 2 against Boston. Robert Williams continues to play much better in each game, and he had a massive impact on this game early with dunks, deflections, tip-ins, tip-outs for offensive rebounds. He was just everywhere on the floor. Both Kimba Walker and Kyle Lowry got off two poor starts and just seemed a little bit out of the rhythm in the first quarter. You know, it could be as simple as which one of them was going to get going first as to who wins this game. There's still just too many turnovers for the Celtics for them to take the lead in this game and build upon it. The Raptors continued to make them pay every time they turned it over, you know, matching their first game totals in the first half of this game. You know, it just seemed like the Celtics were a little bit out of sync offensively, but you also have to credit some of this to the Raptors' great defense, of course. Smart adjustments were made in the half court by Nick Nurse by having Siakam initiate the offense while Lowry was playing off the ball and Van Vliet working out of the pick-and-pop situations. Both teams were extremely physical on defense, which was surprising to see such a low foul count early in this game. Boston decided to defend Siakam by putting Marcus Smart on him a lot. And with Siakam initiating the offense, doing a lot of the early ball handling in the shot clock, it allowed Fred Van Vliet to be a screener, and he was able to free up a lot more, getting a lot of good looks. It's curious to see if Marcus Smart goes onto Van Vliet more as the series progresses or if they're going to leave him on Siakam more. Robert Williams was continuing to make an impact on this game, and some of this just wasn't showing up in the stat book. And one of the most underrated parts of Robert Williams' game is his ability to set screens and, you know, just stick someone helping the ball handler free up. You know, Tatum 
has shown a lot of progression in the playoffs and the reseeding games. And in this game, we got to see some of that progression. Is He used to be so bothered by small guards, he would get up underneath him on his shot or mess up his dribble. Now he's able to just rise up over him and knock down shots, but he's also tightened up his handle, so he welcomes that small defender to blow past them. Anobi continues to impress, as he did in this game, hitting some timely three-point baskets and coming up with some really big defensive possessions. It just shows how good he is going to be. He's already a terrific defender and is always improving offensively. Brad Stevens made a tweak and put Grant Williams in to defend Siakam in the rotation versus Semi Olajay, and it paid dividends for the Celtics. You know, as things were getting away from the Celtics in this game, the Raptors went on 11-0 run, and Stevens had to make a decision. He put in Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Daniel Tice to come back in the game and steady their defense as he kept Kimball Walker and Grant Williams on the floor. The Raptors tried to change things up on Boston once again, by moving to their zone that works very, very well. And this just goes to show how much Boston really misses Gordon Hayward, you know, on these possessions where they face his zone because he is the best one at busting it open, getting into the paint, or knocking down shots from the perimeter. One thing that killed Boston in this game is how many missed layups that they had. And, you know, it's just another... Wow moment in these playoffs as Marcus Smart rattles off five straight three-point makes capped off by a four-point play. This gives the Celtics life, and then Jason Tatum puts the Raptors away with some timely jump shots, and it just shows how much of a star he is going to be in this league. But both of these teams really wanted this game in the worst way, and you could hear the floor burns coming from each player as they dove for loose ball on top of loose ball. And as we've seen all before, Cardiac Kimba comes to life, hitting the big shot to give the Celtics the lead. While the Celtics come down with another possession to try to put the Raptors away, and they miss a shot, and the Raptors get the rebound cleanly, and they are so good at you know scoring off of those live rebounds in transition. They're like, man, they're going to get a really good shot, and they're going to have a chance to tie this game up. But Marcus Smart does something very, very, you know, for lack of a better term, smart. He went to the bo- boards on that last miss jump shot, And it forced Ibaka to have to adjust a little bit. And there was a difference between Van Vliet getting a good look and a deep off-balance pull-up that he'd got at the buzzer. Huge win for the Celtics to go up 2-0 in the series. This series is going differently than I expected. But the Raptors figured out a lot of things in this game that's going to help them in Game 3. And I think that they will be able to get one game back. In the second game of the day, we had the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets. 
Joe Ingles got hot in this game early, and it looked to be a very bad sign for Denver. But they were able to get contributions from players other than their main two guys in Murray. And Jokic as Monte Morris and Jeremy Grant were both doing a wonderful job of making life tough for both Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, which is also helping throw off this Jazz offense. The Nuggets didn't really make a whole lot of sense with their offensive game plan to start this game as they kept trying to feed Jeremy Grant in the post, and they were sending doubles his way, trying to force him into a mistake, and it was starting to get a little bit wild. Michael Porter Jr. was playing really well on both ends in his early playing time in this game after he has struggled for quite some bit in this series. His defensive rotations were on time, and his offense looked really relaxed and patient, letting the game come to him rather than trying to force the issue. This is a very different Nuggets team with Gary Harris in the fold. The Jazz tried to switch up a few things defensively to throw Jamal Murray off, but the doubles they were sending him were hurting Not the Nuggets, but the Jazz. And I know he's been on a nuclear tear, but the Nuggets were able to get a lot of backside mismatches all over the place against the Jazz. And Michael Porter Jr. was killing them on the glass. Jordan Clarkson would get into the game and make a few shots and get this exciting look of, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take over this game and make a big impact. And then he'd look over at the scores table and Gary Harris would be checking in. This is where the Jazz really missed Bogdanovich, having that other guy that could produce some offense when the other guys were not getting it done. It kind of feels like the one of the first times it's felt that way since the beginning part of the NBA restart. Denver was able to stick with it in this series and figure out a way to stitch together some defense and make progress progress each game, which was invaluable, and set them up to play very well in this Game 7. You add that to what Jamal Murray and Jokic was able to do on the offensive side of the ball, causing problems for Utah, And now the Jazz's offensive issues started to show up at the worst time. Denver's transition defense and second efforts to get out to shooters and contestor shots has been terrific. And something they need to lean on more going in to their next series. One thing that worried about me Worried me about this game, even though Denver had taken a lead into halftime, is that Utah has been very, very good in third quarters. And I thought if the Nuggets don't come out on top of all they need to do to slow down the Jazz, is that they may let this game get away from them. But, you know, a good thing for Denver is that their bench unit gave them really great minutes in the first half which 
they were able to give Jamal Murray 10 minutes of rest, hoping that his legs will freshen up for the later parts of this game. While the Nuggets did jump out to a double-digit lead in that third quarter, the Jazz would not go away. They wanted to make sure that they knew that they weren't dead yet. You know, the problem with making a comeback in a Game 7 is that you can become too tired to finish the game. But both teams were gassed at the end of this game. Jamal Murray was able to make some timely shots, and it was almost negated by Rudy Gobert's lob off of Mike Conley's drive. Gary Harris came up with a big deflection while denying Donovan Mitchell the ball, and Torrey Craig almost cost the Nuggets the game with a missed layup as Conley's three rimmed out at the buzzer, and the Nuggets were able to become the 12th NBA NBA team of all time to ever come back from a 3-1 deficit in a best-of-seven playoff series. Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell combined to score 475 points in the series, and that is the most combined points by opposing players in a series in NBA history. They were both able to also tie or break Steph Curry's record of three-pointers made in the series. So there's a lot of history made in this series and in this Game 7. And this series has to go down as one of the best first-round series of all time. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Back em Down podcast. I hope you all enjoyed the show. If you want to become a monthly contributor to the show, please click the link at the bottom of the show notes. Everyone enjoy their Wednesday night of basketball as we have a big game seven between the Thunder and the Rockets as well as a pivotal game two in the series between the Bucks and the Heat. I hope to have you all back for the next episode, but until then, take care, and I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Back em Down Podcast.